0: So excited for you all to listen to this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we are officially starting an email list as we have some big plans for the podcast and we'll be telling people on the email list first and probably only the people on the email list. So feel free to sign up and get on the email list at F20R.com. That's F as in Frank, two zero, R as in red, and I'll see you over there. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to have on my friend, Austin Petersmith, who is the founder and CEO of Capiche. Austin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm really looking forward to learning more about what you're working on. And with that, let's just dive right into it. Give us an idea of what Capiche is.
1: Yeah. So basically, Capiche is what what we're building is a user community for for all of business software. What it, where we started is around pricing transparency. And so right now, there's a ton of opacity in pricing for uh, SaaS products. You often have to get on a demo call to just like get a quote as to what something is going to cost. And most of the vendors have have tons of different SKUs and are charging um, kind of based on what they think they can get out of a customer as opposed to any sort of normalized pricing and um, similar to kind of how Glassdoor was able to push the kind of fairness and transparency in salaries, we're doing something similar with with pricing so getting lots of people to submit what they pay, what the quotes they were given were, how they negotiated, and all those sorts of things workarounds to get better pricing and um, and then we're sharing that with the community and um, Going forward, we're also just trying to solve a lot more areas of information asymmetry in business software. So building a community of power users who want to um, help each other, you know, pick the right products, get the right prices, use the products better, and all of those things along the way.
0: Okay, so let's walk through kind of a typical path of a, a user or a customer of yours. So let's say I am CEO of a quickly growing you know, company that needs enterprise solutions in like Drift or HubSpot or any of these. So how, and let's say I wanted to understand what my options were for pricing. I wanted to understand what these things cost. How would I engage with Capiche? Is it an email list? Is it kind of a, a SaaS? Uh, I'd love to hear kind of how it works.
1: Yeah, so, so it's right now, it's, it's mostly just a community um, site. So you would go to capiche.com. If you were interested in, in like pricing specifically so both drift and hubspot we have um, dozens of data points on what people are paying for those products specifically and so if you shared some of your pricing that you're paying um, for various SaaS products then you can um, unlock access to to that other data so so you have to give a little bit to get a little bit and we vet all those submissions and so if you just like submit some junk then we're going to know because we spend all our time on this stuff so so we vet them, but once it's approved, then you'll have access. And then the other thing that we have right now is um, questions and answers on the platform. So you can um, straight from Capiche.com, you can ask a question about any particular SaaS product or about a category. So you could ask. Actually, today someone asked the question, uh, a question about comparing Drift to HubSpot. And um, I don't know if you saw that. That was why you were mentioning that, but that was one. And Darmesh Shah, the um, CTO and co-founder of HubSpot, actually jumped in and chimed in on the discussion. So things like that. Right now, people who ask questions on Capiche are getting answers within typically, uh, 50% of them are getting an answer within an hour. So you can ask all sorts of things. What? How did you negotiate your pricing? What do you think of the customer service? Uh, why did you choose this product? And we're getting all sorts of more specific stuff. Like there's one today about someone looking for a platform as a service product that had HIPAA compliance. and uh, we. And so they posted that and already have an answer that was like, maybe not definitive, but at least pointing them in the right direction. So those are the types of questions, and again, we're building this kind of community of people who um, care about, about the software they use at work and are excited about kind of helping each other uh, and kind of limiting the amount of time that all of us have to talk to salespeople and uh, customer success people and all, all of those other, other people because sometimes fellow users are the most helpful.
0: So would you say one of the, the biggest use cases is, let's say, let's just use the examples that I use, and that is a coincidence that I use the same ones, but let's say it's HubSpot. I, before I sign up for HubSpot, I can go into the community-powered Capiche and see what what people, what kind of deals they're getting, and then ultimately, is that, in a way, leverage I can use going into a sales conversation, knowing that HubSpot you know, might potentially you know, negotiate? I have no idea, honestly, but just as, as a hypothetical, is that one of the power ways to use Capiche?
1: Yeah, so definitely on the pricing transparency thing, that is the kind of one of the key ways. So the way that this typically works is you are interested in using HubSpot, you can't, you can't find or any product, it depends on the product, There's some have more transparency than others, but usually you kind of go into it, with little or sometimes no kind of framing in your mind as to like, what would be a good price. And, um, and I think the, so basically what what we can do is you can, you can start to read some of these different anecdotes. And so we, right now eventually we're going to be like really normalizing the data. So you can actually see charts of kind of what everybody is paying. But right now it's more like you just can read a dozen people read what they what price they're paying based on their usage number of seats or volume or whatever it is. And like what their kind of process was for getting that if they had any negotiation tactics or ways they got a better deal. And then if you can kind of create that framing in your mind, then you go into it with kind of a clear understanding of at least like what would be the ballpark of what might like feel good versus if you're completely flying blind, flying blind. I mean, if you imagine like basically any other transaction, if you had to, to like shop on Amazon and you couldn't see what anyone else was paying and you had to like, I don't know, get on a call and then they tell you the, the um, whatever it is, the TV you're going to buy is $1,400 and you have no way of knowing, like, is that the right price? Like, I don't know what a TV, in terms of the value it delivers for me, I'm not sure exactly what that is. And so we have to kind of be able to benchmark it against other, what other people are paying and allow a little bit of liquidity so that the, the price is kind of, Level out to what to what's right, not not like this kind of huge discrepancy where either companies with deeper pockets or companies that are less aggressive about negotiating or um, you know whatever else end up being the ones that that pay much higher prices.
0: I'd love to hear the a little bit of the backstory of where this idea came from and if it came from a a personal pain point and kind of like when was the moment that you decided. I'm actually, this is, a, this is a problem that's big enough that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle it. I'm going to start a startup.
1: Yeah, so I guess I can talk about a couple of different things. So before coming to Silicon Valley, I had a background in journalism and, so, um, and was kind of pursuing a career in journalism and ended up finding my way into tech partly because like student loans from um, going to Northwestern to get a journalism degree ended up being kind of prohibitive of actually working as a journalist. And so I had to find something where that could pay the bills a little bit more but but the kind of um reason that I was drawn to that was was really kind of the the promise of of like what kind of creating transparency and um and particularly like consumer advocacy journalism is just so interesting because it can can really like empower people in the markets to um to have a little bit more sort of fairness so so that's kind of i guess like a part of my uh, i guess dna and worldview that was that's important backstory and then a couple years later so i joined a company um out here in san francisco called singly that was later acquired by another company and um basically that company that i was working for was had this really popular open source software product and was going through this transition after raising lots of lots of venture capital money of trying to um kind of move into the enterprise sell into the fortune 500 and I was mostly working with the developer community, and it was a very popular product. But it was pretty clear to me that the and I don't want to like name and shame, so I won't go into too much detail. But the it was clear to me that this was not a product that was going to really resonate in the enterprise. But what what happened was the same thing that every company does when they want to start selling into the enterprise: you call up Gartner, you start paying Gartner a bunch of money, and um, have analysts that are coming by your office and going out to dinner um, with with your sales executives and all those things, and and you build these kind of partnerships, and then boom, suddenly your product is listed on Gartner's Magic Quadrant. And once that happens, then the Fortune 500 companies start calling, and um, I got to see that kind of firsthand. And I knew, I was fairly confident that this product just wasn't, there. Were, I felt like there were huge opportunities for it because it was, just, it was loved by developers, but I just didn't think that selling it into these huge companies was gonna be the angle, and it, but it was so interesting to me to see that you can basically just buy your way onto the magic quadrant. And so that really stuck with me. And then kind of in the ensuing years um, running companies, I had just experienced the like massive frustration in, in buying lots of software of like lack of transparency on pricing and then the quality of the existing sort of review ecosystems. And I kind of would compare it to, so you and I are in a founder Slack group together and like one of the most common things in those groups around like VC listservs that I'm on is people saying like what what does everyone think of pipe drive or like what are what are people using for project management?" and in those kind of more private channels, you get these like amazing five paragraph responses where people like want to nerd out about the product and really like dive into it. and then you go to these review sites that are basically like Yelp for software and you read these these like two paragraph reviews that are just super low quality and just not kind of um the type of thing that that instills confidence when you are sort of making a decision that's going to impact a a really key piece of your business and cost you a lot of money. Um, So that frustration kind of was stuck with me for a while. And um and then I guess the other piece is basically just um oh yeah well so that I guess go a little bit more about the review ecosystem is like they mostly they have huge volume of reviews and they mostly get them from this like ten dollar starbucks card exchange so you're a software vendor and we tell you hey we will pay we will give a ten dollar starbucks card to any of your customers if you convince them to leave a review for you on capiche or on uh whatever site and uh and so that's where the the huge volume of reviews come from and so then people are making these important decisions that are going to impact their bottom line and impact key pieces of their, of their tech stack. And they're making those decisions based on things they read that were written by someone who was trying to get a latte and a half basically. And, um, and so that kind of has always frustrated me and I've, and then in the kind of consumer space, there's been really interesting kind of developments around, um, around kind of, um, I guess like new age kind of consumer reports type things. So wire is is a really, really awesome one owned by the New York times. And um, I don't think you could really do a wire for software because the use cases range so massively, but, but wire just is, has really inspired me with the way that they just make it like so simple to understand when you're, when you're getting ready to buy a product, um, you, they just like basically say, this is the best one. <laughs> and if you want to spend a little bit more money, this is the best one. And you And they explain all the research it's all transparent, how they make money and what their research is and um, and I just really love that and then NerdWallet Wallet is another one that has a similar model and has been really successful with this sort of um, transparency around uh, their model but then and then just like really building the model around we want to help the we want to serve the the buyers and not the sellers and so I guess all of that kind of um, grinding in the back of my brain for years and I was just looking at this space and it's like everybody from Gartner all the way down is basically the way that I see it. They are kind of an extension of the sales and marketing arm of the the vendor side of this market. And the, and that's a good business. That's, and that's definitely the easier and faster way to build a big business in this space. But I felt like the bigger and more interesting and more valuable opportunity here is to, Serve the other side. Serve serve the buyers, and um, and kind of relentlessly focus on that. And so, so as we kind of grow, we're right now just like building community. And um, but the as we grow, that that will be sort of always the driving principle around products that we build, and like guidelines in the community, and ways that we monetize, and um, basically every other decision that we make is is kind of on that fundamental premise of like. We are on the side of the buyers. We want to make sure they're getting more fair prices. They're they're choosing the right products, not the products that marketed to them in the most clever way, and um, that they're able to like leverage those products in the right way and um, just get more value from the software that they're buying. And yeah, so that's kind of the story.
0: I'd love to hear what direction you're 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 rowing in. In that you have your base, you have your community. I'd love to hear. You know, if you can just you know. Dream for a second, like a decade out. What, where would you like to see capiche and what kind of markets is it is it in, and, and how does it work then?
1: Yeah, so I think um, I think that it'll it will always be kind of a community driven effort, um, and so it, we would never kind of look like Gartner. I don't think. Um, so that's kind of like it, at scale. I still see it as being a community kind of community powered um, operation, but but there could be ways that we kind of fill some of the needs that Gartner and some of those other companies do today. Um, and then, so I guess, but I guess like if I go back like, I, instead of looking a decade out kind of just like around the corner. So today it's like the, I mean, the focus is just building a community of people who are excited to, to hang out and talk about, about these things, help each other uh, kind of level up, answer each other's questions. And we're, and so we're building like gamification things um, like different things. You can, once you, do accomplish certain tasks on the site, then you are allowed to use emoji or put links into your posts and um, earn badges and all those those fun things. Uh, but right now, the kind of core content on the site is question and answer. Um, and then the sort of things that we're going forward with, I mean, so we probably won't be doing reviews too soon, because again, I just feel like that kind of focuses on the wrong thing. I think the when people are shopping for software, it's not just like how many stars is this? It's like, I wanna read like, what someone who is has a similar use case to me, like what their experience was with, with different products in the category and why they ended up with what they ended up with. And so I think questions and answers kind of gets at that a little bit better. And then the, the onus is on us to figure out as we build this corpus of lots of questions and answers, how do we actually like um, extract insights and make it so that you can actually like get to what you're looking for. And so that the, so building product is going to be right now the site is definitely like not that easy to navigate. You kind of hit dead ends everywhere. And so it doesn't feel as like alive as, as it should. I mean, the amount of activity in the community is awesome, but you don't necessarily feel it. And so we have just like improvements we need to make there so you can actually like get a sense of what's happening in the community. Um, and then, and then the one thing that we're going to be rolling out is basically, um, so you've probably seen like some sites have um, feature request boards that are like you you can go request that asana build a particular feature and other people can upvote the feature that you requested and people can comment on it and the company can respond and so some companies have those but lots of them don't most of them don't and um and even the ones that do sometimes are kind of heavily heavily moderating what's on there and so um that's basically a thing that that i haven't really talked about publicly but that we're building right now that we're going to be be slow really slowly rolling out but just starting to build a place, an independent place where there can be kind of public accountability for the things that, that the customers of these products want to see built. So um, like Slack, uh, for years, everybody wanted Slack to implement dark mode. And if you want to request a feature on Slack, then they ask you to just email them. So you send them an email and say, I think you should build Slack or build dark mode. And then they send an email back and say, this is a great idea, I forwarded it to our product team. And then that's kind of where it ends and you have no idea Am I the only person who wants this? Are there 10,000 other people who want it? And kind of what's the deal? And so the, so I think of this kind of as almost like a um, similar, to, similar vein to like change.org. It's like the companies can ignore, ignore this if they want to. But once we have a critical mass where there is a, a significant volume of people kind of shouting from the rooftops about how they want something to get done, then, uh, then the companies will kind of have some pressure to, to actually respond. So, again, it's around like... Uh, creating different ways for the users of various business software to kind of gather together and, um, and help each other out. And there's a huge range of, of kind of ways that that can happen. But I think, um, feature requests are
0: one of the key things. You mentioned that unlike Amazon, where you have, if you want to buy a TV, you got 10 prices you can compare it to with all these softwares, you got nothing, right? You, you just, you talk to the salesperson and they kind of have the power. Uh, do you think that this uh, tactic or kind of method uh, is one of the reasons why so many SaaS companies grow so quickly is because they sell in a, almost like in a, a, private, a private section where you can't see if it's more expensive or less expensive than the market?
1: Um, so I think that they any sort of lack of liquidity in a market creates inefficiency that can, that is exploited by one side of the market. And in this case, it, it's pretty clear that it is the vendors as a whole are benefiting from the lack of transparency. Um, and I think that it's so, I'm not sure. I don't think that's like why these companies are growing really fast. People are building amazing tools that are easy to implement and allow all of us to to like uh, accomplish things move much faster in our companies and um, there's just like this amazing ecosystem of of things and the and so it's like it's not surprising that Zoom grew so fast because they just created a better solution than had ever existed and there's so many video chat things but they decided to like hire fifty engineers on day one and really build the best most reliable and most simple to use um, video chat and it and so then they blew up and now it's a public company and uh i don't think that like and they are actually more on the kind of transparent side of of pricing overall um so i like i don't think that plays too much into it and and we are seeing companies with with like fairly pure transparent pricing um grow really quickly but then even so like slack has fairly uh fairly transparent pricing they do have pricing tiers that are not listed on their site that that we've gotten reported by our users and then like deals that people can negotiate and things like that. But, um, but I don't know. I think, I think overall it on any given deal, if, if they, if a vendor is allowed to frame the pricing conversation on what they want to frame it on, then they can generally um, get a better price than they would otherwise. And it happens on the margins. It's not like they're just like ripping everybody off because you, because there are competitors, so you could go through the process of getting quotes from five different vendors, but um, it's exhausting to do that, and, and it's hard because the pricing is pegged on different things, so you really can't, it's hard to like actually draw a clear picture, but obviously if if the products don't deliver the value that that kind of justifies the price that, that people are paying, then eventually people will kind of move to other things, but, um, but I think that's still. I think in general, things are. A lot of people are paying more than more than they maybe should because um, because they didn't have any. They don't go into those conversations with any clarity.
0: Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. I, I want to shift a little bit away from capiche and kind of more into your brain and what you spend your your time thinking about or pondering. I'm curious. Do you ever think about trends in technology or other companies that are interesting or vcs that you know you know whatever like is there anything that you spend time thinking about um when you're not thinking about capiche
1: okay well so as far as like the where the the kind of future is going i think i hope it's not boring for me to kind of kind of stay in the general space that that i operate in with, with capiche but um but it's something that i've thought a lot about and so i think um when I look at kind of the state of, of like enterprise software today, um, there's been a lot of people have talked about the kind of the products that have been able to grow from the bottom up. So it used to be basically like the old world was the decision makers in a company were kind of the, the 20 or so people at the top of an organization and they would make a decision based. It was people mostly made the most conservative decision because because you're you were only really accountable in those buying decisions to the people who could fire you. So that's either probably the CEO or the board of the company, and that's the the famous adage like uh, you never got fired for buying or nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. So so you buy IBM, and, and if it doesn't work right, then you can point to every other company in the world that was buying IBM, and uh, and no one's going to fire you for that. And so, kind of going forward, what's happened is the. Um, basically so we have we now have products that are growing from the bottom up which has been kind of talked about a ton like um, a product like slack where one a small team of four people in an organization would adopt slack and then and then some other people who sit next to them would say like whoa what's that and then and then they would get added to it and then it kind of just grows and grows and grows within the organization until it has a critical mass and then all of a sudden the company kind of like has to buy it because because they need to like make sure that it's up to the security standards that they have, and have some sort of corporate process. And once there's a critical mass of users that are using it, then um, then you kind of just have to have to kind of adopt it, I guess. And um, and so the as I look sort of going forward, I think that we've really just seen the the kind of beginning of this impact. Because so a thing that maybe has been talked about a little bit less, but I've written about this a little bit, and it's basically that the that accountability line has has entirely flipped. So or well you might still be accountable looking upward. If you're the CIO of a company you might still be accountable to your board on buying decisions, but you also could potentially like you are accountable looking downward. So the employees rank and file in an organization suddenly have a voice where if a CIO refuses to adopt slack then the employees up and down the organization could be in like outright revolt and that's just a new thing people it used to be sort of, you just accept the tools that are put in front of you, but with the kind of explosion of consumer software and the kind of rapid ability that we, for people to kind of like um, try out new things and, and adopt new tools. Um, And so there's been this kind of world where now people are exposed to, to like, there are better tools out there. And so then they will try those tools and, and you kind of, um, the The accountability has really flipped, and so the but the thing that's really interesting to me there is that the it used to be that the actual decision maker, the buyer in every organization was the twenty people at the top. and so vendors and the analyst firms and everyone else was speaking to that audience because that's the only thing that mattered and and as well as the kind of boards that that oversaw those people. But now it's every single person in an organization is, has has some amount of power in buying decisions that a company is making and that's a pretty radical shift and so i think that we're kind of like just seeing the sort of impacts of of that but i think it's going to be pretty interesting because uh because the needs when when you're an individual in an organization and you have buying power your kind of incentive is entirely around like does this get my job done not is this the conservative decision or kind of Um, is this the, like, I don't know, it's just, it's more, you're on the ground, you're the one using the software. And so, um, so I think there's some pretty huge shifts that are going to come around that. And I, and I'm pretty excited about kind of observing that over, over the next, um, five, 10, 10 years, because I think it's going to be a bigger shift than, than people really realize. And the, so the post I wrote about this was, was enterprise software is dead. And that's kind of the premise that, that I uh, or the, I guess the thesis that I've taken on this, which is that it used to be this massively different buying process and um, and sales cycle and everything else, and now it's kind of just if you're selling to, to Ford or if you're selling to a one hundred person organization, it's it's actually fairly similar. And so the uh, those discrepancies between business software and enterprise software are actually like really fading away.
0: So I'd love to hear a little bit about some of your biggest learnings uh, throughout your your whole career and now at Capiche. Um, what are some of the, the things that you've learned along the journey?
1: Um, yeah, so I think things that my career has been a lot of, so it was journalism and then kind of um, community. I was building communities and, um, like, doing growth growth marketing and developer evangelism. And so through that, I got to, like, see a lot of kind of uh, well the the ways that companies get built and um, and kind of form my sort of worldview about how I, about how i like um, how I like to approach these things i guess and the I think a big part of it for me is the sort of power of the people i guess and uh, it 's like probably a corny thing but it's but it 's just such a fascinating thing when you when you look at um, what can happen when when people come together so so i worked for a while at this company called assembly that ended up didn't, not working out but basically we were like trying to build this platform where people could come together and build companies together online and share ownership based on what you contributed so it's like open source but people could build for-profit businesses and share equity and they might have never even met each other before and um, that type of thing is just so inspiring to me and uh, even though though that one didn't actually work out i think um you ju- I just see these things and um, like Wikipedia is probably the, the most impressive example of just when you, when you can leverage people coming together and the internet is just such a powerful tool for doing that. You can um, really accomplish massive things. And so that kind of um, when I look at, at um, investments that I'm making, or when I was thinking about how, how best to approach the sort of problem space with Capiche um, and and just when I kind of, um, as I just look at, look at the world, these are the things that are, that are like really, really fascinating to me. And um, it's been cool to, to kind of be a part of that in, in various ways. And I'm excited about kind of seeing what we can do with Capiche as far as bringing people together and um, power to the people.
0: If you were talking to a founder or an aspiring founder more so, someone who wanted to start a company didn't necessarily know the best step on how to do that, but they know there's a problem in the world they wanted to solve, an idea they wanted to to build. what advice would you give them to get out of there and get started?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think that the the obvious advice is just like start building. Um, and I think i so so I guess i um, the first sort of like company I built online was a side project that I did. that was just an email newsletter that I sent out once a day. And over the span of like a year, it it built it built up to like twenty thousand subscribers just through word of mouth. And it wasn't like a business because I never really I guess I made some money on the Patreon thing, so I was making a thousand bucks a month or something. Um, but it was a cool thing because then the the people were who were interested in that later. Um, that's how I connected with Jason Calacanis, who hired me for for a job that I that I worked on, and and then who later was the first investor in my in my company and. Um, And other people who, who now are investors in my company were people that I connected with. And so it was like this really small thing that didn't mean much in the, in the grand scheme of things, but, but like getting out there and just building something is, um, is a lot more kind of uh, even if it's not necessarily the thing that you're trying to build. So I would, I would always just look at, I often kind of hear from people who are, who will list like the kind of. Three hundred features that they need to build this like amazing new thing that's going to solve this massive problem, and um, maybe they're right. And so I don't want to like kind of uh, act like I have some better better insight into it. But I but I definitely do think that that the best way forward is like prove something. And if you do that, then you might be able to convince investors based on what you proved, even if it's a little bit tangential. Or you might be able to make the money that you need to quit your job and focus full time on it. And um, and so I think just any sort of forward velocity is generally the uh, the advice that i would give
0: so this is a question i always ask now on the podcast you got a a, you know a bunch of people listening to the show you got you know you're talking to me who's someone that wants to help and we're all eager to help guests that come on so my question to you is do you have an ask or a problem or something that you you would like out of the community that you would want to ask of someone listening or of myself in any way that we can help you
1: um, yeah, so I mean, I would say, just go to capiche.com and, and join the, com- the community. So ask a question, you'll, I bet you'll probably be surprised that you get a fantastic answer, um, or answer someone else's question, um, share your pricing data, um, any of those things. And um, I think that, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in, in nerding out on software, then we've got some pretty cool people there and, and it's growing every day. And so uh, that would be the main thing.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Your, your wealth of knowledge in this category is awesome. I learned a ton. And I'm looking forward to watching Capiche grow into, into a really big and substantial company. So thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.